0: together jesus i love you you're the one our hearts adore and lord it is true and so weekly also we get to open up your word and so lord as we do that um may it be like a, as we open the bible may it may it be also a picture of like our lives um our hearts that we would be open for you to input life and in truth we thank you for today in jesus name we pray Amen. So last week, what God saw. We are going to be in Genesis chapter 6, chapter 7-ish a little bit. And I just want to point out a couple of things because I want to talk about what God did. So last week, the reason for the flood. Genesis chapter 6, verse 12 says this. God saw. We've been talking about when God created everything. It says, and God saw. And it was Good. God saw, and it was very good. Now God saw how corrupt the earth had become. For all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence. This is the opposite of what God spoke to Adam When he said, fill and multiply God's goodness, partnership with the Lord. Now he saw that what had been multiplied? Corruption and violence and darkness. And so so this is what God saw. So what did God do? I want to talk about three things quickly today. The first one is this. God preserved the good. The key meaning of the whole flood story... Is about God's mercy and commitment to preserving the goodness that he had made. It's not just that he dealt with bad people. It's that God still saw and knew what was good and how to bring good out of what he created. It was that he was committed to the good world that he had made. God was acting to restore the goodness of his creation so God preserves one family through the flood. And if you notice these beautiful pictures in, in, in yeah, pictures, God preserves one family and elevates Noah as a new Adam, placed once again in a garden on a high mountain with the commission to be fruitful and multiply. That's why the beginning of Genesis is so important, because when you read it, specifically chapters 1 through 11, but really up to the flood and the new creation, you will see these words, these phrases, these themes repeated, repackaged and repeated over and over and over and over throughout Scripture. So when you get to the New Testament and you read things like what Paul said, that I am Dead, I have died with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. People would have known in his original context, he's going all the way back to flood imagery. So baptism, old things dying, new things coming forth. These are themes that are repeated throughout scripture. So the flood is not just about God's judgment. It's also about God's preservation of what he created to be good and fruitful multiply. The second thing that the flood shows us um, in what what God did in the act of the flood, he preserved the good. The second thing, he provided a way of salvation. Check out chapter 7, verses 16 through 18. So this is the part where it's talking about the animals going in. Which would have been a crazy thing to see. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God commanded Noah. Check this out. Then the Lord shut him in. Verse 17. For 40 days the flood kept coming upon the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. See, all of chapter 7 talks about God preserving his good world through Noah. Chapter 7, it almost, it's, like, it's almost like a, a pause in the flood, and then this is where it talks about Noah his life, why God chose him, what he did, and this is where the whole, the animals come into play, of which, not to spoil, or alert, spoiler, spoil, spoil. It's still sort of early. <laughs> not to spoil it, but everything we've probably been told as a kid, we're like, the, I don't know that it, that it played out like that. Um, this was a time of, Like darkness and corruption. And walking with God wasn't like, hey, let's go to the ark. It was kind of like that long obedience is for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord even though we don't know all that it entails. But this is the way the world is and it wasn't a, and, and it says that Noah was a proclaimer of the goodness of God for 120 years. He didn't stand back and be like, "You people are so stupid." He just said, "God is good; he's worth following." Noah, why are you building a boat? Maybe they were like, "What is a boat? <laughs> Will it even float?" People have always been making fun of those of us. I don't say just us, but. People have always looked down and sneered upon people who decide to walk by faith in a cause greater than their own to a plan that is bigger than their own. And it was no different for Noah and this is this but God said that's what's righteous. You know why Noah was righteous? Was it that he was perfect? Nope. Read chapter Whatever, the chapter after the flood. And you'll be like, Noah was, that was weird. (laughs) You'll just read it, you'll see. But it says that he was righteous and found favor with God. Why? Because he obeyed God. And he walked with God. Doesn't that make room for you in your life as well? Can you obey God and walk with God and not be perfect? Yeah, you can. But God provided a way of salvation. Two things that he actually um, provided in a way of salvation. I want you to notice two things about God's saving. The saving was God's doing. Did you notice that at the end of verse 16? When it all had been done and they had entered the ark, at the very end of verse 16 it says, Then the Lord shut him in. It was God's closing of the ark. It wasn't Noah closing himself in and being like, we built this thing to be away from the wickedness of the world. Now we're going to shut ourselves off, close ourselves in, and forget those people. God saw that the world's mind was made up already. It was the, the nerve endings had been seared off. There was a letting go when God says that he would judge the the, the word is he actually let go and let it be. And God looked for who would respond to him, and God shut Noah and his family in the ark. The second thing, so the saving was God's doing, and the flood was God's undoing. This was God undoing what man had done. And the imagery even here goes, takes us all the way back to Genesis 1, 1. Notice this, check this out, this is cool. In Genesis chapter 1, excuse me, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. Now the earth, so in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, the waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, The flood was God's undoing and bringing the world back into a Genesis 1-2 type of situation where man had done their own thing, go back three weeks to the garden, the fall, the trading of truth for a lie, the trading of life for death, the temptation, the fall, the whole bit, then Cain and Abel, so we've been working our way through this, and then if you play that. That scenario long enough, man's way had gotten to a point where they had just fully done their own way. Evil and corruption had taken over. And God in his mercy and in his justness, for he is just and he is holy and he is loving. So to not let people uh, live in this way forever, back to the garden, he says, I will redo i will undo what man has done didn't just leave us to live in that place but undoes it and so now we are back in this literally what was saved that is of god and we'll see that he is his presence hovering back over the waters and the last thing i want to talk about this morning is not only did god preserve the good not only did he provide a way of salvation, it was during that time that God provided stuff too. He provided protection and he provided provision. See, the ark is a boat, yes, true. But it is more than that, it is a place of protection, protected from the 40 days. Not like you can go so deep, and I'm like 15 minutes today. But when God separated the waters in, in verse 3 or 4 of chapter 1, the waters were going to unseparate and come back together. So it was more than rain. And God protected from this violent storm. It was a place of provision. You know how long they were on the boat? It was more than 40 days and 40 nights. For after the rain stopped. It actually says in chapter 8, when you begin chapter 8, The first three words are almost weird when you read it. It says, but then God remembered Noah. (laughs) Noah's like, like the movie Waterworld wasn't out yet. It was a 90s movie. Kevin Costner, when he was young. And he could breathe underwater. It was awesome. Biggest box office disaster of all time, I think. But there was a sense like, Lord, is this what life is going to be? But all the while, it's about a year, it's about a year they were on the boat. You can give or take, some say uh, a year and a half, some say more, some say less, but it was probably around a year, 365-ish days with a bunch of animals in your family. It was like hell on earth. But God was there, so not really. It was like heaven on earth. Um, But God provided for them every single step of the way. It was a place of God's provision. God said when when the animals came also to have food, to have everything that you would need, and God provided for them every step of the way. And the third thing, it was a place of God's presence. This is where I want to end kind of my portion of the morning. And then we're going to move into the baptism. The ark is a boat. Yes. Literally was a boat. Literally floated. Literally still probably somewhere is on, the, is on the glacial fields of Mount Ararat. Search it up on YouTube if you want to go down a dark hole of, did we find the ark? Is it still there? but probably is preserved in some fashion, at least portions of it. So yeah, it is a boat, but it's more than that. It's also a symbol. It's a symbol of the garden. It's a symbol of the tabernacle. It's a symbol of the temple. Check this out. Look at the dimensions and the description. By the way, there's more verses given around the dimensions and description of the ark than there is about the flood itself. The flood gets like two verses. God did this. Remember Old Testament Jew, uh, Jewish writing. There's reason for repetition. There's reason for a mount of words given behind a certain thing. So when you see amounts, mount, it, it, it means something. Genesis 6, 14 through 16, so make for yourself, this is what God says to Moses, or it's Moses, Noah, so make for yourself an ark of cypress wood, maybe your translation says gopher wood, actually gopher is um, more closely related to the original language because it's another wordplay. you're supposed to make it out of gopher and pitch was pronounced topher. Out of gopher. And line it with topher. So make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it. Check this out. Make rooms in it. And coat it with pitch. Inside and out. Verse 15. This is how you will build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long. Cubit is probably around this long. Elbow uh, elbow to fingertips. So give or take, a couple inches. So make it 300 cubits long, so maybe 450 feet, 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof and opening one cubit high all the way around a window. Put a door on the side of the ark, make a lower, middle, and upper deck. Ark. Ark is not a Hebrew word. Ark was an an Egyptian word. Did you know that? It's like how we don't have an English word for... Torta. Had one of those last night. Anybody Mexican food fans? Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Enchilada. What would you like? An enchilada. What's an enchilada in English? It's an enchilada. (laughs) Baptism. Baptism is... um, not a, a Greek word. It is a, excuse me, it's not an English word. It is a Latin word. Baptism. We just use it. Ark means box or coffin or um, coffer. You know your coffers? Well, you would transport your treasure in? A, co- a coffin where you would place death, or for the Egyptians who, when the children of Israel first got the book of Genesis, they were in the desert. They had just been rescued from Pharaoh. This is where they get Genesis. And you know, in Egypt, in Egypt, um, worship of many gods, they had a bunch, every family had little arcs in their house. It was a box where they would place their little idol, and you would, your idol would be in the box, and you would carry the box from here to there to there. So this is a cross-cultural reference of not a little idol, but Yahweh Elohim, the creator God who had placed his presence in this place, this ark, and uh, made it through the flood. This was also not just a story for the Hebrews to hold on to, but to share with others as a testimony of their faith. The symbolism and parallelism would have been beyond evident to them. To sometimes for us, we have to dig deep to like catch a little bit of that. But Moses's parents would have known what this meant when God told when um Moses' parents, when, when the order from Pharaoh came down before the Red Sea crossing to kill all the Hebrew baby boys from ages 2 and down, what did Moses' parents do? Then Pharaoh gave this order, Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. They worshipped the Niles, the, the river god but let every girl live because they wanted to take over the lineage of the people now a man of the tribe of levi married a levite woman she became pregnant and gave birth to a son when she saw that he was a fine child she hid him for three months but when she could no longer hide him she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it inside and out with tar and pitch She placed the child in it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. If you have a King James Version, like an old school Bible, maybe even a new King James, it said she built for him an ark. She lined it with pitch. She placed her treasure in it. And she, do you think this was an act of faith on her part? She wasn't like, hey, I'm going to send you down the river. It's going to be so, you know, we'll make a post about it later. (laughs) She was trusting God with everything that she had, that if God could send Noah and the animals and bring them safely through, that she, that he, she could entrust her son unto the Lord. So she built an ark. That's the word ark. A box, a basket sent Moses down the river. Moses would have known exactly what God was talking about when God told him to build the ark of the covenant. You can read about it in Deuteronomy, Exodus. You can read about it in Exodus and Deuteronomy. But you get its dimensions. Build it this many cubits by this many cubits. Make it out of this kind of wood and line it inside and outside with gold. On top of it, place these two cherubim. When's the last place we saw cherubim guarding the presence of God? In the garden, when they were cast out, God placed cherubim at the, at the entrance to the garden so they could no longer enter into this place. Where was the ark to be placed? The Ark of the Covenant. Underground in Egypt, because that's where Indiana Jones dug it up. <laughs> Everybody knows about that. It was guarded with snakes. And he had to choose his girlfriend or the ark. And he chose love. No, the ark was to be placed in the tabernacle, which would eventually become the temple. Solomon would have known exactly what God was talking about when God told Solomon the temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long, 20 wide, and 30 high. The portico at the front of the main hall of the temple extended the width of the temple that is 20 cubits, and projected 10 cubits from the front of the temple, he made a narrow window up high in the temple walls. Against the wall of the main hall and inner sanctuary, he built a structure around the building, which there were side rooms. The lowest floor was five cubits wide, the middle floor six cubits, and the third floor seven cubits. He made offset ledges, around outside of the temple so that nothing would be inserted into the temple walls. He lined it. You know what's crazy? You can go to Jerusalem now, and it's not Solomon's temple anymore, but there are still remnants from the OG temple mount. Lots of news going on around that area right now, but there's a section of the wall where people stuff their prayers into into portions of the wall. It's called the Wailing Wall. It's part of the Western Wall, and it's, it's actually a retaining wall. And if it's built that well, imagine what the temple walls were like. We were told that they were hewn so perfectly that you could not pass a piece of paper through them. They were so perfectly put together. It sounds like it was sealed. Nothing could get in. Nothing get out. It was a place where God wanted his presence, his protection, his provision. It had four parts. The garden had four parts. And the innermost part was God's presence. Do you guys understand that there was more going on than a boat on the water. The people would have known. We need to know. We still have a place where we can live in God's presence, where we can eat from his provision and we can have his protection. It's no longer a boat that we enter. Or a temple that we go to. Or a golden box kept in the holiest of places that only one person once a year was allowed to go in on your behalf and on mine. That was the high priest. But we have another high priest. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the one that all of these things point to that we now live on the other side and sometimes we have to stop our busyness of life and mind and striving and we actually have to turn around and realize how much has actually already been done. We're so forward thinking and we got to go, go, go and a lot of what we need to do is turn around and recognize and realize what God has done, what's available for us because of the flood now we because of the ark, now we, because of the temple, now we, because of God's presence, now we, because when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. The place that divided God's presence from the rest of where everyone could go split in two, and it was saying, open for business. (laughs) Open for hanging out. (laughs) Open for a new way to be. God preserves his goodness. He dealt with evil, namely Sin of which we all have and struggle with. It wasn't about ridding the world of those bad people. It was about ridding bad from the world. And when you place your faith in Jesus, when you, when you turn your life over to him, it's entering the ark. And God shuts you in. And God provides a place for you that no one can get in and you can't get out. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I protect my sheep. They know my voice. They follow me. That's what Jesus is talking about. The one who promises his presence, his provision, his protection. That's who we proclaim. That's what we have to wade through so much muck and mire and and like lies and hurt and betrayal and all of that stuff in people's lives to simply get the truth of the goodness of God through. And we'll spin forever doing it because when one person sees Jesus for who he really is and they take a step of faith toward him, it's freaking worth it, man. This is what Jesus said. I think he knew what. Because he was in the beginning with the Father. He created all things. So when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. Build it with many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to, would I not have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the place to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Thinking that there, he's thinking in temple language, building structure language. And Jesus is using building structure language here. So Thomas, rightfully so, he's just like, What are you what are you talking about? Like, where? Where are you building this thing? I don't, we don't know where it is. Are you, you know? And then Jesus said, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to this place, this location apart from me. Jesus is saying, when you enter me, you enter this. This is what it is to enter in to a relationship with God. So what he asks of us is the same of Noah that we would, by faith, enter into him. So we're going to move into baptism. Today we get the honor of witnessing uh, three now people. was two, and then there were three. <laughs> witnessing people enter into the waters of baptism as an illustration of an inward decision that's already been made. It's a decision of the heart that they have made to enter God's kingdom and family. So, what I'm gonna do is, I'm gonna call each person up. They're gonna come up and just share briefly why they're getting baptized today, each one. And then we're gonna all move over here, and then we'll do the dunking after that. Sound good? Yeah. So, I haven't seen Van- Vanessa. Are you here? There you are. Come on up here. Will you guys welcome Vanessa up here, please? Oh yeah. This? Okay. yeah. <laughs> Hi. I just briefly have. Um, I'm here to commit myself completely to the Lord. He has appeared to me during times of great crisis, sustained me through my darkest hour, has, has never left me. <laughs> I want to dedicate myself with everything that I am to the Lord in pure and absolute love. awesome who's next Cody come on up Cody we guys welcome Cody up here good morning Um, I just wanted to say the reason I'm wanting to get baptized is because I'm ready to surrender and walk my new path in life without a father. It's been a long it's been on my heart for a long, long time, but I was waiting for me to be called to do so. I'm a recovering addict who has been an addiction for, for many, many years, on and off. He is here recently I went through a rough rough path in life and I fell off into a dark, dark world that I didn't think I would ever find myself or myself being. I put myself in recovery and I've opened my heart more and more to the care of God as I understood him. I feel protected and safe with him in my life. I'm ready for my sins to be forgiven and would like to have our father become my saving grace. And Zane, you wanna cruise up here, my man? Yeah, let's go. Cody, why don't you go change? See, you got to quarterback this thing and everything. Lots of moving parts. Let's <laughs> Uh Good morning. Um, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I've uh, gone through a lot. And um, even in the worst of times, I've come to realize that I've always had a hand on me. And um, I was just talking to a friend earlier, and it dawned on me that he has to work on you before he can work through you. And um, there have been so many things, good things happening in my life that I cannot take credit for. So just here today, I'd like to acknowledge it formally. I love it. All right, so you guys are gonna give me 39 seconds. To throw my (laughs) baptism stuff on. And then um, everybody go ahead, and if you haven't started, you can get changed real quick, and we'll be at the, the baptismal in about one minute. All right. Okay, no wires in here. Are we ready? Why don't we do the order that they came up on the, on stage? So let's go, Vanessa first. Would you guys welcome her up here? Which she might be getting ready. Zane, let's let's do you first, my man. I'm seriously blown away the longer I get to do this. I mean, this is, this is an honor. But just hearing people share their stories, I, I, it makes, makes my faith stronger. It makes me love the Lord more. It makes me um, believe what they share about their lives. It makes me believe it for mine. Come on Amen. For those of you who maybe have never seen this or been a part of this, baptism, the idea of going all the way under the water is uh, it's supposed to be an overwhelming, an all-encompassing immersion in water. It's not an act of salvation, it's an act of obedience. Like Noah who entered the ark, we are doing the same, but it is entering life in faith. In Jesus. Baptism is entering the ark publicly. It's saying, I'm dying to myself. I'm going to live in obedience to Jesus, to him who loves me and gave himself for me. So as you are submerged, you are surrendering your life to Jesus as, a, as Jesus did unto the Father's will. As you are under, I won't hold you under first super long time. (laughs) (laughs) May you know this. No, you don't have to. (laughs) And may you experience you are surrendering your life and as you are under, may you know that the old has passed away. Like the old world that the flood cleansed has passed away and the new has come, and as you are raised, may you experience the newness of life in Jesus. May the water you are raised out of be a symbol of the living water that the Holy Spirit will bring forth from your heart and life, and may you walk in this new identity with God's blessing and abundance. I'll dunk you just a (laughs) sec. Do you surrender and submit your life to walking with and following the Lord? Yes. Do you believe that God has graciously forgiven you of all that has been done and has plans for peace and hope and future for you? Yes. And we've talked, and I'm um, so blessed by you, man. And so because of your public uh, declaration of faith, um, Unto the Lord, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See that paper? <laughs> on my I'm good. I'm staying in <laughs> Vanessa. Are you in there? You are. Yay! It's a cool picture, huh? Thanks, Marty. <laughs> It's refreshing. <laughs> so, as you are submerged, you are surrendering your life as Jesus did to the Father's will. As you are under the water, may you know that the old has passed away and all that comes with it, and that when you come up, you are being raised unto newness in Jesus. May you experience this newness of life. May the water that you are raised out of be a symbol of the Holy Spirit that God has put in you and will pour forth from you, and may you walk in this new identity with God's blessing of abundance. Cody. Get your phone out of your pocket. <laughs> that would be a memorable <laughs> baptism. Oh, Lord. Oh, dang it. I just want to read this to you as well, ma'am. The overwhelming and all-encompassing and full surrender to the water is a picture. It's a picture with your whole body in front of people, what you and your heart have decided that you want Jesus to do in your life. You're surrendering to him. You are identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. So as you go under the water and lay back, it's surrender. It's a giving up. As you are under, it's a passing that God has cleansed all, everything. That's why God's grace is crazy and you can't explain it. Because he has a way of loving so much that he says all the old has passed away. And living in faith is when you come out of the water and you live like you believe it. Like it's real. That's what it is to walk in grace. So, as we do this, may you just have a picture in your mind of who you are and for the Lord. As you lay yourself down as a picture of death, know that you are worth dying for, for Jesus. As you come out, may you know that the purposes you've always had for yourself pale in comparison to what God has planned for you. One more time, loud and proud. Let's give it up for all three of them. I thought it was fitting to do baptisms when talking about the flood. May we look at the flood as not something God just did because he was mad at people. But may it be something that we actually always look back to, and God was so committed to preserving the good of the world that he was willing to let the evil go. And when you place your life in Jesus' hands, it's sort of like saying, God, there's some evil. (laughs) There's some stuff in here. Would you do something with it? And he said, yeah, I will risk it all to preserve the good that he has for your life. And so after seeing that picture and watching people do it, I just feel like the Lord would want me to say, is there anybody today that says I've been waiting or I didn't understand it? And maybe today is the day that you want to give your life to Jesus through the act of baptism. If that's you, I just want to give you a moment. I quit doing this years ago because you got a little crazy sometimes. (laughs) But I just don't want to let the moment pass. <laughs> yeah, you have to let it get awkward before. <laughs> All right. So let's do this. Let's stand together. Let's invite our worship team to come up. They're going to close out our morning. So as we sing this song, may we sing with a heart of gratitude for God's goodness and uh, in victory for what we have in Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right.